so all the young guys and girls who are dancing with you are probably fairly balanced mm. because it depends how they're being led and so on and, and they haven't got mortgages and jobs and all those other things. But for adults out there, I've dealt with... I have with lots of adult ballerinas. Yeah, so they have to deal with... Um, well, they have to deal with family and they have to deal with mortgages and they have to deal with jobs. Mm. And so what I find when I'm coaching people is I'll get these really successful business people in here who've got phenomenal businesses a massive amount of wealth and they might have really good relationships with their husbands, wives, kids, all that stuff, but they might have really poor fitness or they've got really good businesses and they're super fit, they're doing triathlons, but they never see their family. So the Solid Human Foundation for me is about trying to be as even as possible across those areas. Welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balance Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. So this week's podcast is a little different. We won't be talking about famous ballets, differences in technique training, or the importance of research and development when it comes to preschool or adult ballet classes. No, you'll be hearing from my now friend Glenn Azar, founder and director of Adventure Professionals, Project 180, and his very own podcast, The Building Better Humans Project. About a month ago now, I travelled to Canberra to do what Glenn calls the Aussie 10 Peaks Challenge. The weekend was supposed to be type one kind of fun. Um, a difficult but relatively enjoyable hike around Australia's highest peaks. Instead, we were only able to accomplish five of the ten peaks due to some really fierce weather. And as Glenn described it, the worst weather he's seen on Australian soil in over ten years for that time of year. What we experienced was type two fun. Now, what's type two fun, I hear you ask? Well, it's the kind of fun that absolutely sucks in the moment but in retrospect, becomes one of the highlights of your life. On a side note, I think ballet actually provides this kind of fun from time to time. On this particular weekend, Aussie 10 Peaks with Adventure Professionals certainly slapped us in the face with some type 2 fun. And it also served us a big fat plate of internal work. What do I mean by this? Well, when I was embarking on the adventure, my friends in the, I guess you could call them hiking and adventure world, kept making fun of the easy hike I was going on. Compared to other mountains I've climbed, like Kilimanjaro, everyone in good faith was making fun of my little walk in the park. So I did underestimate it a little, and when we didn't make five of the ten peaks, I was shattered. I've also been working, if I'm honest, really hard this year, and the trip, which was the only weekend away I've taken from work all year, it was supposed to leave me invigorated and lift me up and instead I was feeling really sorry for myself if I'm honest. 
But standing by the buses at Lake Krakenbach Resort, which is beautiful, by the way, saying our goodbyes to the team, Glenn, our team leader, said, Well, team, I truly believe that adventure is the best form of self-development out there, and you certainly received some of that this weekend. In that moment, I thought two things. Firstly, you're so right. And secondly, I need to get this guy on my podcast. So here's to adventure. Here's to experiencing adventure, however it unfolds, except in the case of type three fun, which if anybody wants to know what that is, just imagine James Franco cutting his arm off in 27 hours. No one wants to experience that kind of fun. In this conversation, Glenn and I chat about the trip, its difficulties and my own personal reactions. And we also talk about the importance of failure and letting go of the outcome and learning to love the journey. We also discuss his four pillars, mindset, planning, fitness, and recovery. Look, Glenn and I come from very different worlds, but as I pointed out to him, I think we're in the same business, the business of creating and building better humans. So before we get into the conversation, remember we have our Christmas giveaway happening with MDM Dance, where you have your chance to win a beautiful new pair of their stunning ballet shoes. So make sure you listen right to the end of the podcast, where I'll be giving out our code word for the week. And good luck. Anyway, enjoy this conversation. The Balanced Ballerinas podcast is proudly supported by MDM Dancewear, the company that has developed the world's most advanced footwear for dance. If you're wanting to be your best, or perhaps one of the very best, make sure you've tried MDM for ballet, contemporary, or jazz. MDM, engineered for expression. So I wanted to sit down and really have a chat because... I think even though we have very different worlds, we're pretty much in the same business of your hashtag, building better humans. Yes. Yeah. yeah so personal development. Everything is about personal development in my world and I think in most people's worlds if they're honest because, you know, there's that old concept with the, that we're either growing or, or we're dying, we, you know. So I want to be constantly evolving and that's what adventure, fitness and so on is. And it's what any of us do that coach people in any space, whether it's from dance or gymnastics or fitness or yeah, it's personal development. Definitely. And then even though you're not in the dance world, Glenn, I wanted to have you on the podcast because, well, one, you took me on an adventure a couple of weeks ago yes. and my audience knows that I like a good adventure on top of my ballet and that's why really the Balanced Ballerinas brand sort of was built because, you know, it's possible to do other things outside of ballet and sometimes ballet can be very um, tunnel visioned and focused on just the one thing. And so the whole reason for the podcast was sort of opening up everyone's ideas on on how to have a little bit more balance in your life and enjoy other things. And, um, and so I share a lot with the audience about my own little adventures that have nothing but sometimes everything to do with ballet because to me – climbing a mountain and having the correct mindset to be able to tackle a challenge like that is really similar to ballet. So um, before we go any further, how about you let everyone know exactly who you are, what you're all about and the Building Better Humans podcast. Yeah, so uh, I'll go back a bit, I guess. Um, 
and I won't take too long, but as a young kid, I kind of grew up in a tough sort of family environment. So I moved out of home before I turned 15, which, to be honest, at the time wasn't that big a deal. Uh, I look at it now and I've got kids older than that and I think that's crazy. Um, but, you know, I was kind of a bit of a wayward kid for a few years. The people that knew me as a 14, 15, 16-year-old would not assume that I'd be where I am now, to be honest, or have the influence that we have now. But I guess that's a different story. I joined the Army as a young guy, as a, as a teenager, I was 17, and I spent 17 years in the Army. So that totally became my adopted family almost, and a lot of my personal and professional development started there without even realising it. And not dissimilar to what you were just talking about where you know ballet can lend itself to all these other things. So can everything that I've done in life. It, it helped me grow. Uh, so I joined the Army with a Year 9 education and I left there with a university degree. So I specialised in aviation med medicine. I was an infantry soldier first. Aviation medicine, so helicopter evacuations. They then put me through a nursing degree. Uh, and so I left there with a degree. And I, as a young guy, I, I thought I wasn't that intelligent. But the truth is, I just had, wasn't applied anywhere. So, and, and didn't really have leadership. So out of that, I've got four children. My oldest daughter's 24 and my youngest is 12. So there's a bit of a spread there. Um, you know, I got out of the army after 17 years and started running an adventure business and a gym in Toowoomba. I now have a gym in Brisbane. We sold the one in Toowoomba. Um, my second daughter, Alyssa, climbs mountains, of course, which um, she's climbed Mount Everest twice, the youngest Australian to do that, to, the youngest Australian to climb it at all and the youngest woman ever to climb from both the north and south sides, which she did at 19 and 21 years of age and has climbed around the world. She's done things that I haven't even done. So to me, that shows that, you know, in part that Everything that I've learnt, I was able to then impart on someone else to help them become a better person. And some years ago, I was meeting with a big company that wanted to do some work with us. And they just asked, what are you guys about? Because I'm doing coaching of people, I'm doing fitness, and I'm doing adventure. And I said, well, everything we do is about building better humans. And everything's and, linked. And it just stuck. I left there and a guy who was in the meeting messaged me and said the CEO loved the building better humans thing he just thought that was amazing and then when I decided to start doing a podcast which is called the building better humans project that was just naturally the name it's become a hashtag that and not dead yet it's become the tagline on the front of our gym building here everything because the person you are at the start of an adventure to the person you are at the end of it is two different people the start of traveling to Africa and doing everything you did plus the climb different person than when you first went over there in some way the same when people do Kokoda the same when they do Aussie 10 and one thing I love about adventure is people don't even have to achieve the intended outcome, which I'm sure we'll discuss, mm -hmm. <laughs> to still get massive value, maybe even more value out of it. Because in life, particularly if you're really driven, you like to just achieve the thing that you set out to achieve. And I love that adventure sometimes says, yeah, that's not going to happen. So you have to be okay with that. Which is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation, because I will admit there's not much in my life, Glenn, that I haven't set my mind to and not achieved it's just something really rare in my life I don't know hashtag blessed or something but I seriously there's not much that I haven't gone that's what I want and not achieved it like even doing Kilimanjaro in 2017 people said to me oh good luck like um, hopefully you make it to the top and I was like what do you mean hopefully like mm. I'm gonna make it like it's not in my mind it's just not even a question and I did make it on that trip to the top. And I was like, yeah, told you all. Like, do you know what I mean? It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And then on our trip that we did, which we'll get into more details, it wasn't, look, let's not call it a disaster because nothing's ever a disaster and we learned from it. But 
but it really knocked me and taught me that I sometimes cannot be in control of everything and it took me a day or two after I got back from Canberra to be like okay I think I've learned the lesson in this yeah, yeah. and it's it's disappointing definitely but it's not it doesn't alter your life in any bad way other than no. if you attach yourself to the outcome uh I can say in line with your Kilimanjaro experience, we always, particularly with Alyssa climbing, get told two things. And people mean well, whenever we're going on a trip or she's going on a big climb, they'll say, good luck. Yeah. And then they'll say, and stay safe. And neither of those are things that you're thinking about. And I know this will sound bizarre, but you don't go and try and climb Mount Everest within the back of your mind that I need to be safe also because you understand the risk that comes with climbing Mount Everest. 100%. And so it's not that we're not trying to apply safety, but if we go in with a mindset of being safe, we'll probably pull out early because at some point when she was up on the ridge line, you're, there's a three-kilometre drop on either side down into Nepal and down to Tibet. There's nothing safe about that. No. You know, like the risk is so high. You're at 8,000 metres, you're making decisions with a brain that's not fully operating the way it should be Mm. so that's you know safety and and good luck good luck for us is we all you have to have luck in life but it's not a good strategy it's not something to rely on it's just that'll be nice to have but even if the luck doesn't come my way my preparation is what's going to get me through if it's available Mm. but what adventure does as we learn on Aussie 10 is some of the most horrific weather conditions we are this minute animal on this planet and mother nature always wins and we have to adapt to what it delivers to us and we might be good enough through that adaptation or sometimes we just have to admit that we're just not good enough in these current conditions to complete what we wanted to and nature has the final say on that no matter how driven we are no matter how alpha we are no matter how much we're used to succeeding that's just what happens it's there's always an edge to our ability somewhere along the line Definitely. Um, for the listeners who um, don't know what we're talking about, do you want to fill them in on the trip that I came down to Canberra with you on and what we were perhaps supposed to accomplish? Yeah, so <laughs> it sounds really simple. Our goal, particularly if you've done Killy or something else. I thought else, it was simple. <laughs> our goal is four days. Um, so meet at Canberra on a Thursday, get back to Canberra on a Sunday, trek six of the ten highest peaks in Kosciuszko National Park on the Friday, trek another four on the Saturday, finish early in the afternoon, come home. Have a beer, go home. Yeah, beer, pizza, whatever. Um, so that's the <laughs> it plan. It sounded simple. And, and obviously, and I said to you guys at the beginning, because it was a beautiful day on Thursday and a sensational day on Sunday. Oh, but the Friday but and Friday Saturday. Friday and Saturday were horrific. And Friday was, I've been in similar conditions on the Friday. It started not too bad, but then the rain came in. And, you know, conservatively, I would suggest up along those ridge lines. 110, 120k an hour winds. The rain hurts when it hits you in the face, as well, we now know. you were having to hold on to my backpack because I was flying off the side of the mountain. And that got me thinking. <laughs> I'm 108 kilos, and at one stage I was holding on to two of you girls who are probably half my body weight. Yeah, I'm and like 60 kilos. Well, the wind's blowing me away, so I thought, I don't know how they're standing. And most of the time we're getting blown off that. But we got through... Uh, five of the six peaks, which is actually a pretty good number. Sometimes we'll get six in beautiful weather. It's not unusual to get just four. So to get five, I was pretty happy in those conditions. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I decided to turn us around was we were still, you know, four or five k's from the finish line and they started to become lightning. So it wasn't When we just were going for Kosciuszko, yeah. yeah. No, no, this was no? on day oh, one. Oh, day one, yeah, yeah. When we were heading up for Mount Twynham, which is the one we didn't get. There just started to be a few flashes of lightning and I thought, okay, we don't want to be stuck out here in lightning. It was getting quite scary, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And it was disappointing and it's a big call, but I was okay because these conditions tomorrow 
will make, even though they're tough conditions, will make the other four peaks. Needless to say, those conditions weren't what was available the next day. It was snow. Yeah. It was gale force winds. Even when we we weren't even up on a ridge line when those winds were hitting us. So yeah, I can so only imagine, imagine when we hit the yeah. yeah. And then because it had rained so much the day before, snow's not a problem, but rain is. The rain had solidified into this slippery ice, and so therefore, you know that you can't actually climb any of those peaks just in normal boots, which you could if it was snow. So it was just going to get dangerous. And we, you know, had a broad range of people. I think we had all people who are mentally strong and physically quite capable. But they just got to a point where I decided um, this is dangerous and at some point someone's going to get injured and if that's to happen, we have to answer to someone. Even um, you were slipping around. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I thought that was pretty funny to watch. Well, even you're, Alyssa, quite a, you're quite a big unit and you're just like slipping all over the... It's like ice skating. <laughs> and even Alyssa said like, you know, she's been on mountains in Russia, South America, four or five different mountains in Nepal, Everest twice. She said, I don't think I've ever experienced conditions quite like this. I mean, and she's been through an avalanche mm. in, in Everest Base Camp. She was there when the earthquake was on. But those specific conditions and... It was 31 degrees in Brisbane and we were in minus six degrees. I know. The, the videos and photos epic. that I posted, my friends and family and dance community back home were looking at these photos going, where the hell are you? Like it looked like I was in Switzerland or something with the snow like coming down and, and it was just insane. Yeah, it was crazy. It but was you know, crazy. whilst I knew it was the turnaround point, I let it go on for a fair long, a bit longer than I would have liked. But I also have to find that line... And the reason I did that was because I knew there was a few alphas in the group, of which you were one, um, Adam. I'm were, definitely an alpha. <laughs> yeah, so there are people that are really strong-willed. And so you don't want to pull the pin on them too early. As a leader, that's something you're constantly thinking about. Out there on my own, would I have continued on? Possibly. Mm. But that's only because I'm responsible for my own risk. But when you're responsible for a group of people and you do have to answer to New South Wales state parks and so on if you make a bad decision. And I was comfortable with my decision up to that point and I got to that point where I thought, now it's going to be harder to justify if something goes wrong. But I knew I had to then explain to the group and particularly to the alphas in the group that we're turning around and I knew that the feeling of disappointment and defeat is something that people like that hate because I'm one of those people. You hate that feeling and you're almost determined to put any risk into I'm just going to keep going because I'm not going to miss out on this thing. Yeah. I need to be able to tell people. I need the photo on the top of Kosciuszko. I need to be able to say I did it. Uh, so I knew that was going to be a tough decision, but by the time we made that decision... You know what? Oh, we're just getting smashed. Even if we had got up there, the photo, you could have been anywhere. <laughs> the photo, if we had have even got to Kosciuszko, for those that want the photo, you wouldn't have even been able to probably pull your phone no. out to take a photo. Do you know where we stopped and we were hunking in against those rocks? Yeah, I've got photos. There's a photo of me when you delivered the speech of, sorry, guys, we're going to turn around. It's hilarious. I yelled um, the I got speech it sent and people... To me. You did yeah. yell the speech. No one <laughs> could hear you. That's right. And I'm literally, I've got my head down. Look at this. This is hilarious. Yes. I'm just like, my face is like... No. So if we could have <laughs> gathered ourselves in that photo to all stand together and take a picture, we could have easily set on top of Cozzy. But that's not the point. We all knew what we were yeah. there to do and we all knew that there was going to be disappointment. And the weather forecast did say Sunday would be beautiful and Sunday was beautiful. Sunday was stunning. I woke and up Adam and Adam and others said, like, can we oh. go out now? And so we don't have time to go out now. But yeah. that's the sort of weather. I go at the end of October every year because that's when the weather's the safest. Oh, it was real safe, Glenn. Yeah, I've never had weather like that. I've had <laughs> tough days, but never two days in a row. Yeah. I've had a group once, or I did two groups in a row, where one group was so, the weather was so beautiful, 
And they said, we didn't need all this gear you told us to bring. And then the very next trip came in the next day and we got hammered like we did on day one, but for two days, mm. where we had all our gear on. You couldn't really talk to each other because you've got Gore-Tex hoods on and you can't hear anything. The rain was hammering us, but not like we then had on that second day. It was pretty insane. And I explained to everyone, as you know, on Thursday, this is bring all your gear. And some of the girls in the group were saying, do I need all that stuff? Can I take a smaller backpack? So, well, no, that you, was me. Was that you? I yeah, say, no, and I you ended up bringing my. I brought my smaller backpack. Oh, really? But I did run out of water. Yeah. Well, like I just say to everyone, you need all your clothes. Don't leave any. There was more than one that said, you know, do I need all those clothes? Because I run really hot normally. And I'm saying, no, bring all your clothes because you don't know. And we could have been out there and if the sun was up, you'd be stinking hot and in a T-shirt. Mm. But it, it was minus six with wind chill. And so, yeah, you need all your clothes. Yeah. I think for me, what um, I guess kind of annoyed me personally not about the trip was about um in the lead up to the trip so I've got um a bunch of they listen to the podcast they're gonna they're gonna get angry at me for saying this bunch of middle-aged men that I hike with (laughs) 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 and um and so my uncle Mike who did Kilimanjaro with me him Mm. and him and his mates um because my dad did Everest base camp like I was telling you um when they were all turning 50 and and that was their big trip and then from there they've gone on to do lots of other massive big hikes and different things and climb different mountains and when I said I was doing Kosciuszko they were like Oh, yeah. Like walk, a day walk. In, walk in the park. Have mm. fun, Georgia, on your little hike. Bring a picnic. And they were really sarcastic about it. And I was like, oh, no, like, Glenn, who's running, like, he said it's quite like a big, like, we're not just doing Cozzy. We're doing, like, all the 10 peaks. Like, it's actually quite, you know, quite a big adventure. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then when I had to actually, I called Uncle Mike and said, we actually didn't make it. It was that bad. He was like, what? You're joking. And so after explaining to him what the conditions were like and how much resilience was required on this particular trip, he was like, wow, I totally underestimated it. Yeah. And you can go out in beautiful weather. Like, so say we go next year and he decides to come along and he has beautiful weather. He'll be going, yeah. what is she talking about? Exactly. Like, it's still hard. It's a it's an adventure people underestimate constantly because mostly I take people who've been to Kokoda, who've been to Kilimanjaro, been to Everest Base Camp. They're the three trips. Not saying they've done all of them. They've done at least one of them. And then they go four days, only two days of trekking. But it actually is still hard, um, even in beautiful weather. It's just a long days. It's um, You're not on trails, except there's a trail up to Cozzi and there's that main range track we took, which goes via Kosciuszko and to that last peak we did on day one, Carruthers. They're the only ones that are on the actual track of those two mountains. The rest of everything else is off track and you're bush bashing even in the summer. And so I've got a guy that just rang me yesterday and he wants to take his work group, 20 people, um, across and do Aussie 10 in February, which will still be tough. It'll be hot. Um, but I said to him... That'll be really a, hot. Well, he said, a few of us have done Kokoda. I said, please don't underestimate it just mm. because you've done Kokoda because I think day one in particular, when you get all of those peaks in, takes about 12 hours of walking walking and resting but 12 hours it's 35 k's and it's harder than any single day on Kokoda now I say that consistently to everyone and people always go yeah yeah and then they get out there and they go holy hell especially six hours in so they it takes people just don't get it because it seems well it's Australia there's a boardwalk up to Kosciuszko yeah that's what I kept saying so there is but there's a bit more to that story yeah in the lead up everyone's like oh there's actually a path like or oh I've done that (laughs) and so 
and we ran into those tourists, the um, Indian oh. and Chinese tourists who were not being led by anyone. They were in jeans and runners. They were hunkered down behind a rock and a few of our groups... They had little sand shoes on, yeah, some of them. a few of our groups said, you need to turn back. They had no one leading them. I'm surprised that someone didn't stop them going up there. And when I pulled them up and said, oh, you know, I think you guys need to head back, and they said to me, oh, you know, because they were weighing up their decision, they said, did your trek leader say I have to go back? I said, I am the trek leader. I'm telling you, I think you guys need to go back. It's dangerous up there, particularly in the gear they're in. And they were still debating it before they decided to come back mm. because they'd come all the way there and they'd heard there was a boardwalk. And so that was, on any, if they come out the next day, they're safe as houses. Mm. Being a team leader, as, as I've got some experience in, obviously, um, with everything that I do, how do you finish a trip like that and and come to terms with it yourself like how do you feel when you know the value of the trip no matter what the outcome is but do you have a bit of a sense of disappointment or do you have any feelings towards towards oh just you know not really and I say that because uh, I've been leading treks for 17 years, mm. 18 years. So I started doing that while I was still in the army. And in the army, obviously failure isn't an option for us. You get given a job to do when you're overseas and you have to get that job done no matter what. But put that into context because there are lives on the line. So if I was in the military and they said that we need to get something put on the top of Kosciuszko, you would go through any season weather or train. That's because there'll be a reason and lives on the line. So you can risk lives. That's the brutal reality. But when you come to the rest of life, you've, it's a risk versus reward scenario, firstly. So, And I'm okay with it personally because I'm not out there for me. I couldn't even tell you how many Aussie 10s I've done. Honestly, I do four <laughs> or five a year. So yeah. I used to always, for years I've been saying to people, they go, how many times have you done this? I say, oh, 18 or 20. But then I realise I haven't updated that number in five years. And I've easily done 25 in five years even. So I personally am not out there to cross the Kokoda track. To, I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro 12 times out of 14 attempts. I've twice, once I didn't make it, I just got sick, and once a client didn't make it. But otherwise, I've done 12 of those. So at some point, it becomes not about you mm. and about the group. So then, I want to, I want the group to succeed, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that we don't always get a say in that. And, and I do bring it up at the start of treks. And I also know there's a massive value in not succeeding. So I got a really lovely message off Jill, who was on our trip, and Jill's 71. I was rooming with Jill. Yeah, and she sent me a lovely message about two or three days after we got home and said something along the lines of, I actually think now in hindsight I got more out of what happened than had we have had perfect weather. Mm. So had we have had perfect, perfect weather, you would have got the tick the box and say I did all 10 peaks, which is great, but it wouldn't have been the same experience of resilience, of teaming together, of making a big decision together to turn back, of all of that sort of stuff. And I have to say that when I made those decisions on both days, on day one to miss the last peak and on day two to turn back, I could sense disappointment, but there was no resistance. No. One no. Was, no one the was weather a- was that bad that everyone was like, yeah. even me, I no was like, was I understand. Or, yeah. <laughs> like if the sun was out and I said we're turning around, people would go, oh, what? Like, no way. There would be a mutiny. Mm. But in those conditions, I, I let it go far enough to say, look, this is the decision. This is why. Yeah. Far enough to keep people like me happy. Yeah. <laughs> I think and Adam, Adam yeah. if Adam's listening, like Adam, I know, yeah. is dead keen to keep going. Yeah. Um, dead keen. And, you know, because he's very alpha and he's strong and he, he's, he's a He's like me. He probably would have hopped on his tummy and just like slid across the ice to get up there that's but, right but yeah but i just thought if someone slips down and breaks an ankle or something so i 
there's, there's a huge responsibility. Years and years ago, one of my leaders or mates in the army said to me that having responsibility is a heavy responsibility. And sometimes we forget that, that it's, there's a responsibility to everyone else in the group. And there'll at least be one or two people often in a group who don't understand the decision. And sometimes as a leader, you can explain it as best you can. And right before we left on the Sunday, we're just around the bus, I just said, kind of gave a little explanation to everyone. I don't try to overlead people. I don't try to have their experience for them. And I get some people can be disappointed sometimes, but hopefully the message lands somewhere down the track where like, they'll be talking about that day for years to come. Yeah. The people we're talking about that day go, let me tell you about this time that I did this thing. So I had really, really wet Kokoda trip. The worst I've ever had was in 2006. And the guys and girls on it would rain, like rain like you just don't see in, in Australia, from 9am to 9pm every day. So after five or six days, you were just soaked. You couldn't keep things dry. And people were That's just... That's the worst feeling. <laughs> oh, people were losing it. They were just really, you know, morale was low. And you had to say, but now, and that was 2006... 13, 14 years later, 10 years later even, I would still run into people and they'd go, do you remember that time? Yeah. Now it's a bragging point. Remember that time, that trip we went through, it was better than anything we've ever done. I said, and it was to this day. Because it's type two fun. Yeah. It's type two fun. For those that don't know what that is, it's, it's, it's the kind of fun where it's absolutely awful in the moment, but then in retrospect, it's one of the highlights of your life. And I guess like on the trip, my takeaway was that it actually taught me a lesson that I'm always trying to teach my students in regards to... You have to love and you have to learn to enjoy the work and the progress, not the outcome. Yeah. And you have to, because if you don't love the work, you will get really disappointed in life because that outcome and the goal keeps moving and keeps shifting. And so I think when you do a trip like Aussie 10 Peaks or Kilimanjaro or putting it in a ballet context, if you're you know, the goal is to get into a company or to um, win first place at a competition. You have to learn to love the training, the lead up, the preparation, the planning, the everything before that moment. You have to actually, I think, in fact, love that more because if you don't, then you will be severely disappointed. And you'll also take shortcuts if you don't love the process. Exactly. Anyone that teaches success and isn't, isn't just, you know... Um, selling snake oil, which is a lot of that <laughs> in the coaching space in this day and age, um, you know, uh, make seven figures in the next eight days and all that sort of garbage. But anyone that teaches true success always teaches that you must love the process. And I know for me that's been the case. I know for Alyssa climbing Everest for five years it took her as a 15-year-old until, you know, 19 the preparation that she was putting into that was she loved the process. And so Edmund Hillary has a quote that says, it's, um, it's not the mountain we conquer but ourselves. And that's the thing about adventure. Even when you stand on the top of mountains. So when Alyssa stood on the top of Everest, we personally hate it when people used to always say, you know, this Australian teenager has conquered Everest because you don't conquer Everest. Everest, nature lets you stand on the top of these mountains if the opportunity is there and your preparation has matched what the weather and opportunity gives you. But it's a privilege to get to do what we do as opposed to you conquering stuff. You don't conquer the Aussie 10 peaks. You get an opportunity to complete them. Mm. On our certificates, which I haven't sent out yet, but it Ooh, doesn't... do I get a certificate? Well, yeah, and it doesn't <laughs> say completed the Aussie 10 peaks because yeah. so often we don't. I've had beautiful weather on day one. We hit all six peaks, easy. Everyone goes to bed feeling pretty comfortable mm. and about the next day, and then we've got none or one on the next day because the weather's come in. So when I say I haven't had weather like that before, I just haven't had it consistently over a couple of days, but it does happen. So regularly people don't get all 10. So my certificates will say, 
um, I can't remember exactly, but something along the line, took on the Aussie 10 Peaks Challenge. Because that's what you did. Mm. You took on the challenge and you Well, put, we certainly took it on. <laughs> and we pitted ourselves against nature. And yeah. nature got the victory, as it always does. Um, but next time we go and do something like that, we'll get the opportunity. Maybe maybe we don't. You yeah, know. maybe we don't. Yeah. And and but you know what? Like, I, I completely agree with Jill. I probably got a lot more out of doing this trip with, you know, the conditions that we had than... Uh, easy breezy sailing through like yeah. much more I wouldn't be probably sitting here talking about it because I would have gone oh yeah tick next thing off to the yeah. next thing what's like, the bigger thing because even yeah. your uncle everyone else were going, went but yeah of course because you've done Kelly's so of course you were going to get that one yeah and now that you didn't get it there's a little niggle in you that will say I've got to go back and have a crack at it or yeah. what's the next thing you'll go into the next thing knowing that these are possibilities um, and again, if you don't love the process, you'll quit on things when those challenges come. And an example I can give from a personal perspective is when Alyssa was going for her first climb of Everest, um, and for people listening, she failed on the first two attempts through no fault of her own through nature. There was an avalanche that killed some people and they closed the mountain. There was an earthquake that killed 10,000 people through the whole country that closed the mountain. 21 killed in base camp alone. She was there when that happened. For people that aren't loving the process to prepare yourself three times for an Everest climb mm. it's too much they'll quit and there was a young guy training not with her but they, he did some interviews with her because he was aiming to be the youngest Australian to climb Everest and so was Alyssa that wasn't really her goal but that's what was going to happen that if she was climbed. in the back of her mind well we didn't know that when we oh, started really? we knew nothing about Everest when we started so that was just a, an, a good you know we're, we're respectful of it but it was just she was going to climb it no matter what so this young guy hadn't really climbed much he'd done one or two climbs she'd been climbing for years and the year he went over was the first year she went over as well and the weather turned it back he never went back really so clearly it wasn't enough for him he went on and did other things but Mm. obviously being the youngest was the goal and the next year he wasn't able to be the youngest anymore because he'd already turned 21 and the youngest previously was 21 i think that's dangerous when that's the goal yeah because that's that to me that's not that's not having that's not enjoying and and seeing the value in the the process and that's why it was a byproduct for her of, that we found out after she started the process mm. but if it hadn't been the driver she could have quit really easily when the opportunity didn't come mm. it's interesting i i remember when we finished our trip and we were all standing out by the buses ready to go and you did say adventure is the best form of personal development yes and that's why i was like yeah we need to sit down and have a chat because we're in the same business yeah. I, I, I truly believe that if you take out adventure in my business, ballet really yeah. is a fantastic form of, of, of personal development. Um, and I was actually listening on my way up here, such a nerd, to your podcast. <laughs> and that doesn't make you a nerd. No, no. It makes me probably like a super fan. But <laughs> on my way to interview you, I'm listening to your podcast. But... Um, I was listening to you talking about the mindset, um, the four pillars. Mm. So mindset, planning, fitness, recovery. Yes. So I call that the four pillars of the solid human foundation. Yeah. Because people are really good in one thing and not others. And I like that. Yeah. So the young, so all the young guys and girls who are dancing with you are probably fairly balanced Mm. because it depends how they're being led and so on. And, and they haven't got mortgages and jobs and all those other things but for adults out there i've dealt I have with lots of adult ballerinas yeah so Massive they have to deal with um well they have to deal with 
family and they have to deal with mortgages and they have to deal with jobs. Mm-hmm. And so what I find when I'm coaching people is I'll get these really successful business people in here who've got phenomenal businesses, a massive amount of wealth, and they might have really good relationships with their husbands, wives, kids, all that stuff, but they might have really poor fitness or they've got really good businesses and they're super fit, they're doing triathlons, but they never see their family. So the Solid Human Foundation for me is about trying to be as even as possible across those areas. Now, I asked people on my podcast recently with a challenge I'm doing to rate themselves one to 10, honestly rate themselves. Now, if you're if you're a seven, eight, nine, or ten in any of those, that's pretty good across the board. But if you're a seven, eight, nine, or ten on those, and a three in something else, that's a problem. That's where you need to do some work on the three. What do people struggle with mindset in this day and age? That's a given with the stress of Western society. Um, but if you're not doing something to combat that, then it's not going to get better. Planning. A lot of people hate journaling and hate planning. Mm. Athletes are good at it because. As you know, when you're going through that stuff, you're, you've got to perform consistently. And that means in training and in the process of actual performances. And, and so I know with Alyssa, oh God, books everywhere, planning all the time. Myself, I'm always planning because I've got oh, three I've got businesses. I've 5,000 journals. And, yeah, <laughs> and then, but all, uh, through coaching people on my podcast, I have a private group. and People message me and go, I just can't journal. And we go, well, that's why you are where you are. And we can't change that if you're, not willing, if you're willing to challenge everything that we offer you as a change. So that's what makes it really difficult, I think, for people. But if they can be as even as possible across those four areas, that to me is a solid human foundation. And as it suggests, that's just the foundation. Yeah. All other success is built off that. But if there's a hole in that foundation somewhere, well, that's a pothole in your journey on whatever it is that you're trying to be successful at. And I'm very conscious not to put words into people's mouths. So success to me isn't a big house and a fancy car and lots of money but it could be if that's for you it could be about that it could be about relationships it could be about work-life balance or harmony so you need to put success in the context of what it means for you Mm. because I'm a bit high energy and a bit you know don't sleep a lot and I'm pushing all the time people think I'm into the hustle and the grind and the but you know I'm 47 years old too so I'm old enough to have some life experience to go I don't need to work 18 hour days to view myself as successful. And some people do that and still don't feel successful. So it's, it's, it's finding the thing for you. It's discipline with kindness, yeah. I think. So it's, a, it's a discipline with soft edges. When you think about your role, you've got, um, take aside your adult dancers, but with kids, you've got one of the biggest responsibilities that could ever be put on another human yeah. is to guide young humans. And I take that responsibility of my own kids seriously. But then outside of me doing that, I don't deal with a lot of children. So you think of school teachers, sporting coaches that work with young teams, um, you know, dance instructors, all those sort of people, they're shaping young lives. And some of your dancers will go on to be amazing dancers mm-hmm. and others will go on to be amazing in business or stuff. But you want them all to be amazing humans, to one day look back and go, all those years ago, that's what built the foundation for me. Because it's not just on parents to do that anymore. It's no. on every adult that interacts with that child, we all remember a bad teacher we've had or someone who made us feel really crappy about ourselves. But then we also remember the people that stood out. And in years to come, if nothing else, I want someone... I've got a young girl training in here this morning is in her first year of uni. I've got photos of her and I training when she was in grade one. And now she was in Toowoomba and now she's moved here and she still seeks me out to come and train because she trusts me and I feel like I've just had a little piece of, of guidance around her. She's got phenomenal family, great parents who are good friends of mine. But it's nice that, you know, 16 years later, I'm still involved in her development yeah. and she still feels comfortable now that she's moved to the big city from the country. 
that to me is enough. I don't care yeah. about the people that don't believe in this stuff. It's the people that do that we get to shape. 100%. And I, th- I really, truly believe a community raises a child. Um, and it's really important to make sure that the people within your child's radius are there for the right reasons and take that job really seriously. And I know personally that I take my job and my role really seriously. We have 220 students at my studio and and if, you know, there's not much that happens that, that doesn't, you know, that I don't know about. Mm. And I find that it's really important to take that role really responsibly and I even know just through my own social media through the way I interact with everyone that walks through the door and actually especially the social media aspect because you know children are are all over that these days and they're watching what they're I mean I never back in my day my ballet teacher I don't know what her home looked like or what her life outside the dance studio was like my students know Everything. What I ate for breakfast sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> life now, right? Yeah, that's life. And I take that really, really um, seriously. And and so I think sometimes I can get really frustrated when I see other dance mm. studio owners or, or teachers, you know, within any um, industry actually, who are posting maybe inappropriate things or or whinging about something and I think you've got so many little eyes on you and yeah. it's so important to project the right message and and yeah when I was listening to your podcast this morning and you were talking about the four pillars and I really just had a little moment where I was like that's that's really what the entire Balance Ballerinas podcast is about yeah. is creating that balance and and fostering for me, fostering love of dance within the students, but also going, you don't have to be a professional dancer. No. So I, I actually sometimes prefer them not to. <laughs> yeah. And I and I love it when a parent says to me, um, little Lola came home and said, Miss Georgia said that Queensland Ballet have a physiotherapy team and now she wants to be a physiotherapist, but she's going to keep up her dancing because she wants to specialise in physiotherapy within the ballet world. And that's and cool. thank you, like that's you know that mm. you know opening up those those opportunities and those little th- trains of thoughts in little young minds that they're not studying ballet because they want to be a professional dancer. They're studying ballet for all the tools it's going to give them and possibly the doors that it's going to open. Yeah. And that there's so many different. We become a part of their support network as yeah, well, exactly. and they're willing to take you know, advice or whatever from us. With my social media, I'm, I'm a little bit blunt with the way I deliver stuff. Because, You're very blunt. Well, because, I like it though. That's yeah. why I'm attracted to So my idea is it'll media. attract people to me who want to be attracted to me. But mm. if I have to be fake, then you're attracting people that aren't really your people. So my rules are pretty simple. Um, everything in my social media, I want it to be positive. I want it to be impactful, but it has to be authentic. So if, I, if it's not what I truly believe, I'm not going to write it just because it makes other people feel good. So occasionally I'll get messages where people are challenged. I've had really, really close friends of mine message me years ago when I first started getting into a lot of this stuff and saying, oh, I totally disagree with what you wrote this morning. And I'm saying, yeah, that's cool. And then she wrote back to me and <laughs> said, yeah, care. but, you know, I think you should change it. I said, well, no, you're allowed to disagree with it. But it doesn't mean I have to change it either. Like, it's, it's okay for you to be challenged by it. She never wrote back and then we were training together quite a bit, like just training as friends together, not mm. me training her. And she came into the gym the next other day before and she said, you legitimately don't care about my opinion. I said, no, I do. But I, it doesn't mean that I have to change mine for us to be friends. We're allowed to disagree on stuff. 
and we're allowed to have slightly different points of view. In fact, I think that's more fun when you can challenge each other around something. But I just want to be positive, impactful, but authentic. Because if I'm inauthentic, then I'm attracting the wrong client to me and eventually one of us is going to drop the, the pretend wall and we're going to realise we're not who we thought we were and now we don't actually like interacting with each other. So I end up, for 99% of the people I deal with in the adventure business and in the gym and coaching, surrounded by people I want to be surrounded by. We've just given out a new thing to our clients here, a five-pass card like a coffee card yeah. to give to any of their friends and they just come in and click it off free session. So it's not buy four and get one free it's just all five of them free but we said to them we only want you to give them to people that you believe would fit into us that we would want to hang around and train with and they kind of laughed at first which is fair enough but i said no i'm serious because yeah. if if it's someone that just wants to do five free sessions but they're not they're interested not the right thing in, yeah and they're not interested in being a part of us and it's not really going to be impactful enough for them why do we want to deal with them and them with us you know if, if they're more and this is no disrespect around, but if they're more inclined to go to a good life or an anytime fitness, which is just a different offering, yeah. they're probably not for us. And that's okay. Uh, I learned to be okay with that stuff. So, yeah, I just, even when I started podcasting, it was because I meet a lot of interesting people through adventures, you know, which is why we're sitting here. And I thought, you know, I could sit down and talk to all these interesting people that the majority of the world hasn't heard about who've got really cool stories. But I also wanted to let people understand who I was and what my personality was. So I've got a young guy that does admin for me. He's an ex-soldier as well. And he said, everyone that rings up here is ready to pay deposits. Like, you never have to sell anything. I said, because they already know us. And if they don't like us, they're not ringing us. And that's okay. I've learned to be okay with that. Whereas before, you were dealing with hundreds of inquiries and they were looking for the cheapest price, not the best product. And I was never going to go into the budget market. Um, it's just not what I'm about. So. Yeah. Well, that's what happened with me. So when I finished Kilimanjaro and I was searching podcasts, I wanted to like hear about maybe I was like, oh, is there an episode of someone talking about their trip and whatnot? Because I was a bit obsessed when I came back. And I came across your podcast talking to your clients who had just completed Kili. Or I think you were actually, I can't remember, you were recording on the walk, yes. weren't you, on the way up? So I recorded. You were documenting... Everyone at um, Barranco, yeah. so when we got just below the Barranco wall, I sat down that afternoon and recorded everyone, just an initial, and then I recorded them all at the end. Yeah. So the idea was to record them on the climb. We're two days out from pushing for the summit. They're still feeling pretty good. We don't know if everyone's going to make it, and that was kind of the appeal. And then to be able to say at the end, all right, how do we go? Yeah. And everyone made it except for one lady, and she did really well. So this woman was um, a Sarah from Melbourne. She had gone from, she had an Instagram, I don't know if she's changed the name of it now, but it was called Couch to Killy. Oh, and yeah. it was literally her at 150 kilos, yeah. sitting on the couch, um, mostly working from home on a computer, no energy. And she just made this decision that she wanted to change her life. So not starting with anything easy, she goes to Kilimanjaro. Oh, why and not? two years later, she's lost all of this weight mm. um, and, she's, and she's still got some weight to lose. She wasn't pretending she was there, but she'd made a marker and she made it all the way to Stella Point, which for anyone who's been on Killy... Oh, Stella Point, that's still that's, massive. That's almost the hardest part of the climb. And yeah. we I lost my... Actually, I never swear on this podcast, so I'm not going to start now, yeah. but I lost it at Stella Point. Lost it. Why? A lot of people get to sell a point and they think, oh, and they're all excited. Then they realise it's yeah, still ages because to because I summit. thought I was at the top yeah. and I turned around to our guides and I was like, I was like, because they, they actually said, they go, we're, we're here. And I thought we were at the top. And I looked down and I'm like, this isn't the top. Like, this isn't, this doesn't look like the top. And But I was sort of relieved because I was like, they said the top. And then he goes, no, another whatever, how many hours that way. And I was like, 
I just burst out crying. I was so tired and I'd been fine the entire trip. So they just were like, whoa, we didn't expect this. I just burst out crying and I was like, you don't tell someone you're at the top when you're not at the top. (laughs) And I was like, and then I just like put my hood down. I sat on the floor and my uncle came up and he gave me a hug. and, And then he like, I'll never forget this. He gave me a hug and he goes, when we got to the top, your dad told me to tell you that I'm so proud of you. And I just went, whoa, and started <laughs> wailing. And I was like, oh my God, this is awful. I was like, let's just go. And I stood up and I just started like hiking up to the to the end. But yeah, I, yeah, Stella Point is quite it fondly in my memory. Because it's I, a harder part yeah. of the climb too. It's the steepest part. But with Sarah, we got to there and I just, you know, she could have made it to the summit, but we were taking too long and I knew that coming down was going to be a problem so Mm. again that was a tough decision and Alyssa was leading the rest of the group because there was a young girl Mia who was 12 or 13 and she'd done a few adventures with us and you know and really um, loved being in and around Alyssa and the idea was to get a photo of her and Alyssa on the summit so I said to Alyssa you keep going with them I'll look after Sarah um, and they all made the summit, but they forgot to get that photo. But that's another story. Oh, really? Yeah, that's well, people so were just funny. so fatigued by the time yeah, they got to the top. And it was are. a bit crowded. It was a bit, one, some trips are crowded, some aren't. Mm. So anyway, I said to Sarah, we'll turn around. And she still felt pretty good, but we were moving pretty slow. And it took a bit of convincing, but she was good. And we came down and about an hour into the downhill, the fatigue hit her all of a yeah. sudden, which I knew was coming because that's what happens. Because it's optional getting to the top, but it's mandatory getting You've down. you come down. And so yep. she said to me, I'm so glad that you turned me around. And she does not feel disappointed at all. That was her summit. For, but for two years prior, being not able to get off the couch, it was phenomenal. So again, adventure is the best personal development in the world, but not just adventure, anything that physically and mentally challenges us. So, yes, years and years of trying to build a skill in music or in the arts or in you know, ballet, those sort of things, of course. Like who kids are or even adults taking this stuff on, who they are at the beginning of a year and the end of the year should be totally different, let alone the end of three years and five years and the consistency of turning up, going through injuries, going through tough times, that, all of that stuff. Um, Alyssa and I just spoke at the Steve Waugh Foundation and they're all these people doing a cycle. They're Olympic gold medalists and there are Paralympians and like Kurt Fernley and all these people there. And then there's all these just normal people. Mm. And some of them haven't really ridden and they're riding 170 Ks a day. And, and again, I said to them, who you are at the end of this week is going to be such a different person. And watching years gone by, that's what everyone said. This was the hardest week of my life, particularly the non-cyclists, but it was also the best week of my life. And that's what I think adventure that's what I think anything delivers adventure you know anything that you have to put some effort into definitely we're in a society of instant gratification where we need to be gratified instantly and and I'm not bagging society or even social media but that is kind of the way modern society is when you can teach anyone particularly young people to have a long-term goal and get the gratification at the end of the process it it stays with them forever 100% and I think that's why we're in the same business because Mm. because I know, especially with adults too, if they start adult ballet, sometimes they come in for their first lesson and they think they're going to be like Margot Fontaine. You probably don't know who that is, but that's okay. Yep, that's all right. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, you don't know who that is, but that's okay. For the record, when you said that I don't dance or or I'm not in the (laughs) dance, I literally don't dance. because The most dancing I saw you do was looking like Bambi across ice. I also don't drink. (laughs) So most of the time blokes who think they can dance do it when they drink (laughs) and I I don't drink. So that's that's me out. Well, the the adults come in and they they literally think they're going to be a prima ballerina at their first lesson. And they're in for a rude awakening and they walk out and they go past my foyer desk and they go, oh, Georgia, like 
is it going to get any easier? When will I feel like I know what I'm doing? And I'm like, years. <laughs> I'm like, you need to, if you're going, if you're serious about studying ballet, you need to get patience really, really quickly. You need to develop patience super quick. And you need to understand that this isn't an overnight thing. But if you do understand that and if you do develop that and if you do go on the journey, for lack of a better word, you will be rewarded, you know, tenfold. I've got a little challenge for you. For me? Yeah. Oh, you've already given me enough challenges. No, I'm good. Go this for it. This is probably not really a challenge for you, but one of my partners here, uh, and he's a top bloke, Ruben. Ruben's yeah. like this phenomenal athlete. He's played representative rugby union at the highest level around the world. He was a big wave surfer for a couple of years. At 34 or 33, he took up boxing corporately and ended up turning professional, having 10 fights for nine wins. He's just that guy yeah, yeah, yeah. that can do anything. And he biohacks all the time. And I said to him, I'm doing a podcast um, with a girl that did Aussie 10 and named yeah. Georgia. I said, and she's a ballerina. And I explained all that stuff. He said, <laughs> I want to come and have a crack at a session. And I said, yeah, I'll see if I'll see You can both later. come. Yeah, we don't need both of us. No, I'm only doing it if you come too. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. He's, I, he's I've an athlete. Taken, yeah, I've taken um, – when when I started adult ballet, I ended up having quite a few unexpected clients. Yeah. I had um, footy players. Your opinion of me would boxers. drop severely. That's all right. I've, <laughs> I've seen it all because, th- like, I've taught um, – um, uh, Sally Pearson, so um, she took ballet lessons for a while there when she was in recovery from her uh, broken ne- ankle. Oh, yeah. And um, and I've taken athletes, boxers. And well, bo- dance, like I boxed for years and, and a lot of really good boxers do dance and that started yeah. from Sugar Ray Robinson's days where he was doing tap and ballet and stuff yeah. and he was the first of the modern day boxers that started to move around the ring because in those early days they just stood in front of each other and you hit me, then I hit you and we keep doing that to one of us can't take it. And he was kind of like, there's got to be a better way. And he became this fluid boxer who won, like, I can't remember exactly, but something like 135 fights before he lost one, which is still to this day a record. That's won insane. the world middleweight title back in the days when there was only one title and he won it like four or five times. And it was all because he could move the way other blokes couldn't move. And he started performing on Broadway with tap dance and all sorts of stuff. So wow. there you go. There's... That's funny. There's hope for us yet. I've got something funny to tell you to finish up our discussion today because mm. I think you'll laugh at this. I don't know if I told you on our trip, but I um, actually, when I finished uni, I applied for the army. Oh, right. I did. What were you going to do? Um, I can't even remember, but mm. I went through the whole application process. I went through all the testing, got to my interview, um, and they literally looked at my like resume and what I'd done and whatnot, and they went... We just don't get it. Yeah, that why? was their words. Yeah. They go, we just don't get it. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you were at the Australian Ballet School and now you're sitting here and you want to you be in the army? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have an answer for them. Well, you'd make a good soldier. Well, it's really funny. Like, I, I, there's a lot of similarities. Mm. Um, it's funny. Discipline. I had di- Yeah, the big D word, definitely, mm. discipline. And it's funny. Um, I'm seeing more and more similarities and different things pop up in regards to those two worlds because um for example last year i had we have display classes where the parents and um you know brothers and sisters and whatnot come and watch the students and there was this little boy in the audience and he was watching his sister do ballet and i made one comment about because all the students were standing at the bar and they were all very straight and they all did something very very similar and they looked like little robots and i said something to the audience going you know it's a little bit military like and that one comment in this little boy's head was like, wow, it is. That's really cool. And then this year he started ballet yeah, right. and he loves it. 
his name's Colin. Shout out to Colin. He's very cute. And he's about, I think he's nine, eight or nine. And um, he's just loving it. But yeah, he, he tells people at school that. It's like being in the army. It's like being in the army. Join the army, Colin. Yeah. You'll love it. I know. No. Colin's going to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can do both. No, um, exactly. Yeah, I could, see, I could actually see two sides of that. I could see where you'd make a really good soldier and a good leader in that sort of stuff. But I also see the army side. Because it's not a high-paid job. It's a job that people have to really love. Mm. Um, like, I I earned so little money in my 17 years. And you don't do it for dollars, no. obviously, because you don't put your life on the line. for. But then another funny thing, which I told you when you first got in here, is I've, since I've... Because I know nothing about ballet. And you were telling me about... I can't remember the number, like 6,000 people apply for 20 positions mm. when you were younger. So I told my, some of my SAS mates, uh, shout out to Blue, who's still over there and be listening, that it's harder to get into the Australian Ballet than it is to get in the SAS, which is crazy. Probably. When you look at the numbers that are applying for it. Having said that, I guess we pre-select people now. So years ago, you could just have a crack, many years ago, have a crack at the SAS. And they realised there were so many people that just weren't ready. And they'd fly all over to Perth and they do the course and they fall out on day one or whatever. Nowadays, they pre-select, they travel around the country pre-selecting. So now you've got a lot less people on a course, but they're more likely... To make it through. Well, they've at least made the first cut. So yeah. the numbers are still really low, like six or ten people off a whole course. But back in the day when there was hundreds going for it, there was probably 50 or 60 of them that just weren't even close to being ready. So now they pre-select them. Probably <laughs> which, a smart idea. Yeah, which I guess, I don't know, ballet probably does the same. You know, yeah, you very similar. You pre-select at levels to yeah. keep going up. So Yeah, well, you move through the levels before you get to, to that point. Yeah. But yeah. Did being I answer the, all your questions? You did, except for one. Right. So being the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, I always ask everyone to leave the audience with one tip, even though it's usually discussed during the conversation. Yeah. What's your number one if you had to pick one tip for leading a balanced life? Uh, for leading a balanced life um, is interesting for me I guess I will say it's the looking at those four pillars of the solid human foundation Mm. because that to me is balance and I'm really bad at or have been traditionally at pieces of it so I'm really good at um, like I like the physical side I like exercising or doing things that physically challenge me I love planning so I'm always writing stuff um, mindset that's my number one go-to but recovery has been my poor thing I don't take downtime so that's something I've been working on and throughout this current challenge I'm trying to sleep more so I'm actually studying it with a whoop band I'm doing everything and I'm slowly building my average sleep for the first 30 days was four hours and 13 minutes which is pretty normal so I typically sleep <laughs> I would die hours. I'm like an eight hours a night well and I should be but I'm <laughs> yeah. not and so then now just today actually in the last 30 days I've tipped over the five hours average sleep so I'm at five hours and five so I mean the four pills of a solid human foundation are one thing but if I was to leave people with any tip it's a tip Alyssa and I use regularly when we talk about anything um, with her Everest or whatever I'm talking about it's that you can have any dream that you want as long as you've got the work ethic to back it up and we try and leave all kids with that when we go and talk at schools because it's okay to have the dream but if you're not willing to do the work Mm. the dreams it's really just a wish and so we just try and instill in these kids that you can literally do anything you want but you must have the work ethic to then get there because just by having the dream doesn't entitle you to the result. You've got to do the work oh, to get there. This is a conversation I'm constantly having. Yeah, well, there you go. I want to be a professional dancer. Oh, but I don't really want to put in all those hours. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I don't like this bit. And you go, well, that's, that's what literally what it takes. Yeah. And most people see end results. And most people see the, the beautiful, graceful, um, professional dancer up there and they don't look at the 20 years that he or she has spent of their life to get to there. And it's the same with Everest. When Alyssa was climbing, wanted to climb Everest, 
I said, let's forget about the summit because that's everyone's golden picture. Let's research because we knew nothing about climbing Everest. Let's look at everything that could possibly go wrong. Mm. And if you're willing to go through all of that, because and what could go wrong in Everest? The worst case scenario, because she was 16, when 17 on her first attempt, sorry, it's not death. For a 17-year-old girl, it's losing fingers and toes. There mm. are people that lost their noses due to frostbite. You think about a young teenage girl having pieces of your body that are having to be chopped Never off. Never even thought of that. That's huge. That's a far worse case scenario for them to go through life with than death. So she had to understand that those are all realities. And if you and, and it's no different for your dancers. The realities are this is the work it takes to get to here and you still might not make it, but you've still got to put in all that work and they, you just might not be good enough at the end of all that for whatever reason, because that's statistically what the numbers tell us, mm. then are you willing to do that? Now, the upside, if they can understand and are willing to do it, is even if they don't make it to the professional dancer, all of the process in between makes them a better person, which is going to make them more successful in life, in business, in whatever else they decide to take on, join the army, whatever. All of those years aren't wasted because you didn't get the end result. All the years for Alyssa wouldn't have been wasted if she didn't make the summit of Everest. She still would have had all these mental and physical strengths from all that she'd put herself through. And if you can understand that, which is hard when you're young, as you get a little bit older, if you can understand that, the process is worth it. Definitely. What was my challenge again? Did you set me a challenge? You yeah, said you had a challenge. Take Ruben on, not me. Ruben oh, that's on right. For a dance. For like that is literally how tired I'm at the moment. I was sitting here going, "What was my challenge?" Do you know again? what? I, if we have we got time, I normally ask people questions after this random card. Oh, are you box. gonna are you gonna turn the tables on me now? Well, because then I can play this on my podcast if I ask you something. <laughs> so okay, I have go these, for it. I have these cards for people listening called icebreakers, and it's a way of asking people questions that you have no idea. If I ask you your favourite colour, well, yeah. for you, that's easy. You'll black. tell me. My daughter will tell you black. <laughs> always say black. She goes, that's not a colour, it's a shade. Because she's an artist. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but, you know, it's it's not those sort of questions. And I find these really, really interesting with the answers that people come up with. I did one with the Commando Steve once, and it was like, if you were a crayon, what colour would you be and why? Which is really random. Because you think, well, I don't really know how to is answer Is there a that. black crayon? <laughs> well, there would be. All right, so you're, I'm going to ask you three questions. And then oh, I'll, okay. And then I'll leave you be. I wasn't prepared for this. I oh, know, and that's the whole point. You're not allowed to be prepared okay. for Okay. Uh, what do you regret not doing when you were younger? If I'm honest, the first thing that sprung to mind was that I didn't have a professional career as a ballerina for at least two years. I actually don't think it would have lasted more than two years, but... I think I should have maybe just done it for a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't really have any regrets because I wouldn't be where I am today. Obviously, you know, the stock standard answer, I wouldn't be where I am today, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But, but that, I, yeah, I reckon I would have just done it for maybe 12 to 18 months. I used to always say when I was younger, oh, I don't regret anything I've done, good or bad. And, and I stuck by that for years. But then as you slowly go, you go no, of course there's yeah. things that you regret or you wish you would do differently. Yeah. This is a good one, particularly for your young listeners. Would you rather be gossiped about or never talked about at all? I'd much rather be gossiped about. Because yeah, you know what? I think if you're not being talked about, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you're, not, you're not making waves. And last one. If you could buy your dream house, what is one weird room or feature you would have? I'd have a dance studio. That's probably not weird for you. Right? That's not weird. Okay, well, I'll pick a weird one then. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm allowed I, to be that. I, I, don't, I don't actually dream about a big 
house. I dream about really random things about my dream house. Like I love sunken lounge rooms. Yeah. I want a sunken lounge room. I feel and like I that's very 1970s, but I yeah. get what you're saying. Yeah, that like it's very comfy feeling. Yeah. I remember sitting in one one time and I was like, I just want a sunken lounge room. There you go. There you go. Why saw some cards like that? They're really cool. I like it. And you can just ask people random questions. But anyway. Thanks so much for your time. And um, And I've just had a, a nice little look at the new Project 180 gym, which is phenomenal. So if you're in Brisbane and you're into similar th- like if I lived in Brisbane, I tell you what, I'd be coming here. Well, whenever you're coming here, just let me know and come and do a session. I will. I will mm. come and do a session. We I was get a actually mix of people. We get like our oldest member, 74. Like, and he's amazing. Yeah. His sister would be in her late sixties. She's amazing. And then I've got teenagers coming in here, and everyone in between. I've got people that come in and go, "Oh, I can't do that." And then you look around and you'll see. Like I've, I've got a guy come in today, and he's a big sort of my size, and we're swinging a kettlebell. And he said, "Oh, what do you think for me? Like a 24? And he's quite strong. And so no, he definitely needs to go up from a twenty-four. He said, "Oh, maybe a twenty-eight." There's a young girl, Taylor, who's a good friend of ours. She probably weighs 50 kilos mm. and she was swinging a 32. And he looked at that and went, oh, okay. Like, he's like, oh, okay, give me the Because th- that's yep. the male <laughs> ego kicks in. Yeah. And I wasn't going to say anything to him, but her technique is really good. It's not that she's, um, it's not, there's no ego and she's just got really good technique and been doing it for a while. And I wouldn't, most, I had another guy starting today and I started him on a 16 and he's going, oh, you know, but she's on a 32. Yeah, but she's been doing this for two years. Like you've yeah. literally just walked in the door. Yeah. So it's about putting your ego in check sometimes. So, but my point is that anyone can do this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah if they really want to do it yeah well thanks glenn Thank legend you. i could talk forever i know i know i know it's like getting two podcasters in the one room just could <laughs> keep going and going and going and going thanks georgia thank you as always if you enjoyed this conversation it would mean the world i know i say it all the time but it really would mean the world to me if you left a five-star rating and comment on apple itunes This truly is a labor of love and I'd love to continue having conversations that inspire and help our beautiful community. If you're interested in the adventure I went on or any of Glenn's work, you can also find his various links to his businesses in the show notes. And before I forget, don't worry, I haven't forgotten, this week's code word for the Balanced Ballerinas giveaway with MDM is adventure. I mean, come on, how could I have chosen a different word? If you're not already in the loop, the Balanced Ballerinas podcast has partnered up with MDM Dancewear for a four-week Christmas giveaway, and all you need to do is comment with the code word, which is, again, adventure, on the Instagram tile that matches this episode. The competition is open to Australian residents only and drawn one week after each episode airing, so go enter and good luck. Have a fabulous week, everyone.